It's time for 41 is the Mike, a weekly Chiefs podcast with Nick Jacobs of KSHB 41 and Matt Derrick of Chiefs Digest. 41 is the Mike starts now. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, it is. 41 is the Mike. Matt Derrick here alongside NFL scheduling enthusiast Nick Jacobs. Nick, how are you doing this fine day? I'm good. You know, now that I'm through all the hypothetical TV schedules that could happen over the next month, month and a half, and how the Houston Texans may play their way into some of them, I am uh, I'm good to go on that part of it. I've, I've prepared. I think you and I prepared all the scenarios off air before we started the podcast. Yeah, just so you guys just know how Nick and I are and how what we do during our free time and we want to hang out and everything. We basically spent the last half hour looking at the rest of the schedule, figuring out which games could be you know flexed into Sunday and Monday nights. Which games do we think are going to be scheduled when in week 18? I mean, in what networks? I mean, we we deal with some pretty heavy stuff here, Nick, trying to figure things out. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that's uh, some of the heaviest stuff I hope I have to deal with all day. <laughs> this is literally what we do for fun is figuring out the NFL schedule. And and you know what? Hey, well, if the if the executives want to call and chat with us about it, we can give compelling arguments for some of the games we were deciding, especially there towards the end on Sunday Night Football for week 18. Exactly. I mean, do you want the Dallas and the Buffalo TV market? Do you want the Boston and Mahomes market? I mean, plus the Taylor Swift market. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things to factor in here. It's not as easy as it looks. Yeah, it's not just about the teams on the field. It's about the city and what's going to do the best numbers. And yeah, it's it's absolutely much more likely that Nick and I are going to be having these kind of conversations during the bye week. And since, you know, we're still kind of on a bye week because the Chiefs playing on a Monday night, Still haven't gotten back onto the field yet. We did talk to Andy Reid on Monday, but as we're recording this on Tuesday, it still feels like the bye week to Nick because we still have one more day of not having any Chiefs content before the team gets back on Thursday. So I feel like I'm still in a, a bye week bubble. The only the only thing that snapped me out of it was the fact that we had the Andy Reid press conference on Monday, which is part of the reason you and I waited and then the Monday night game I wanted to see as well because I was telling you in advance that, man, I was like, I think this one's going to be pretty interesting. And boy, did it turn out to be a whole lot more because we waited till Tuesday afternoon to tape. Well, your definition of interesting is is much different than mine. I mean, I, it was entertaining in a way. I mean, it was a close game. But as I said last night, it was really, really shame that either one of those two teams had to win that game because that should if any game was ever destined to be a tie that game deserved to be a tie wow where right, i'm at well i mean you know 12 men on the field <laughs> kept that from happening among a handful of turnovers along the way but i mean the bills they went out of their way they're oh. like hey we want to give you this game if you want it and uh the broncos the broncos are like no you can have it and that's how that game turned out for a little bit yeah, let's not even let, you know forget the two botched extra points and you know Josh Allen not being able to be the Grim Reaper. Yeah, no, I mean it's uh, it's been an interesting season for the Bills, and it just got even more interesting on Tuesday with them uh, relieving their offensive coordinator of Ken Dorsey of his duties. This, you know, and that's what we were going to open up with today was talking about the the kind of AFC West, the playoff picture, how the Chiefs fit into it. And you and I were talking about Buffalo. I mean, does this to you feel like the end of the window for Buffalo? I thought whenever they had the Stefan Diggs drama in June, I felt like that was the beginning of, well, I, I, 
I've thought the beginning of the ends would come up for a little bit, but whenever um whenever stuff on Diggs thing happened over summer, I was like, all right, that that's 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 gonna be that's gonna be some problems there for that for that organization. And and what ended up resulting from it is that they ended up honestly taking they they focused more on him in the passing game. And so like when teams take him away, that's when the Bills started short circuiting on offense. If they couldn't lean on going against a poor run defense or if they couldn't work to, to Dawson Knox or occasionally Dalton Kincaid, even though he's still figuring out his way in the offense. And they just don't have any other receivers after digs that can really be reliable and help consistently move the chain. So it, it was just a recipe for disaster overall and losing Brian Dable. I mean, Dable, like I've put on Twitter many times, Dable was the guy who could reel Josh back in. Because Josh has the, if you want somebody who truly has a gunslinger mentality, it's Josh Allen. Like Josh believes he can make any throw. Josh believes he can make every throw. And in in look, his arm can, but there's his times where he, he shouldn't be trying to fit it into triple coverage, but he's going to try anyways. And that burned them a lot. And that burned that team a lot more than people realize. And so what Dable would do is he would lean on the run game to kind of reset him <laughs> reboot him in a, in a sense and get him back to zero or he'd let him run the ball and keep that superman mentality but instead of him throwing it it was him running over people which kind of you know still i i hate to say it's still satisfied what he was after because i i see josh allen sometimes as like an adrenaline junkie and like he he's just chasing that 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 a that a moment of adrenaline with his play, whether he's running or passing the ball. And I think Dable kind of helped him find that balance that I just don't know that Ken Dorsey was ever able to properly find. I think Ken Dorsey tried to appease what Sean McDermott needed to be for what he believed in philosophically. And he tried to appease Diggs and try to appease Josh. And I just don't think he ever found a happy medium when he was there. And and I'm going to say not all of it's Ken Dorsey's fault, even though, he's the one who's going to have to fall on the sword because Leslie Frazier already got the heck out of town before the season started. And he's like, all right, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm going to take a year off, you know, go tour, go tour the world, whatever NFL, other NFL teams. And then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do what I need to do after that. I mean, it does feel like, cause I, I agree with everything you said and, you know, particularly, you look at how Josh Allen has kind of gotten broken. He was fine the first half of last year without Dable. I mean, he was okay. But you started to see the turnovers popping up in the second half of the season, and it just continued. And that's when, I mean, that's been really the only offensive problem has been the turnovers. The reason why the Broncos are struggling and why they lost last night, to me, yeah, the, the turnovers were part of the problem, but they also are because they've lost too many guys on defense. And, of course, they made some really dumb special teams mistakes last night. 12 guys on the field, pretty key moment. I mean, Ken Dorsey was the scapegoat. He's not the problem. And the problem is, is that, is that Buffalo, I don't think, has any way to fix what the problems are. And like you and I chatted about, the net, Leslie Frazier's already gone, so you can't blame it on him as a coordinator. And McDermott's in charge and oversees that. And then now you've gotten rid of the offensive coordinator. There's only two people left in that boat now. And it's not it's not Joe Brady then or MOC. Like now, by doing that, if Sean McDermott uh, doesn't get it corrected, like he may be the next one in the offseason that ends up going if they miss the playoffs. And then being the general manager may be the other guy that ends up falling on that sword. But once once you throw the OC over boat like they like they had to, like 
they uh, clearly felt they had to, then you've now put yourself on the clock to where if it doesn't get fixed and isn't doesn't get turned around, it's going to be over. But they may already have accepted that, like, hey, we got to try this because if we don't and we can't save it, then we're gonna we're gonna be out either way. Yeah, here's a, an interesting question for you, and, and I I feel a little weird asking this because even though the Broncos are on a three game winning streak. They haven't exactly done it in the most dominant fashion. Um, Yes, in the last three games, they are plus eight in turnovers. They're also just plus 19 in point differential. So if you were plus eight in turnovers, I think you'd be beating teams by a lot more than a couple of points. Hey, they beat the Chiefs by 15, although I would say the Chiefs beat themselves by 15 in that game. But Broncos, five and five? I mean, four and five? I mean... Are they playing themselves into a playoff picture, especially because, you know, the AFC West kind of is what it is, and they've already already played the Chiefs twice. I mean, they, they don't have to worry about them on the schedule anymore. I think I think national media is going to let you believe that, and they're really going to force you into trying to believe that, and they're going to hammer it home because they want Sean Payton and Russell Wilson to be relevant. So I, I, I think that they're going to really say, well, hey, they've beaten the Chiefs and Bills back-to-back. Leave at the part where Mahomes had the flu and – you know, they'll focus on, oh, that Broncos defense created nine turnovers in the past uh, against the Chiefs and Bills. They're on the rise. So those are the points that everybody's going to end up hitting home. They're going to leave out the key parts of the of the whole thing because, uh, you know, that Chiefs game goes a lot differently if, if Patrick Mahomes doesn't have the flu. So it, it they're going to try their best to get Denver back into that picture. And the Broncos, but if you actually watch what the Broncos are doing on offense, it is beyond awful. Like, I mean, Russell Wilson still thinks he's that young quarterback that he was when he came in the league, but then he's, you can tell Sean Payton takes over in his head. And the reason I say that is because all those checkdowns he just kept tossing to try to move the chains, but it wasn't there. He's not going to force it and create turnovers. He's going to play the game manager now but he still tries to be Russell Wilson. Like you see that battle on every single play that he's under center. He's in shotgun. And it's just a fascinating battle to watch every play to where does he go back to Russ or does he go to what Sean's teaching him and, and what can help the Broncos survive and win and move forward. So it's just, it's going to be fascinating to continue to watch. But at, at the end of the day though, the, the Broncos just don't, in my opinion, they don't have the quarterback to take them where they need to go. And that's the bigger thing that Denver and Sean Payton are going to have to kind of work through and accept and try to understand to get to where the heck they they need to go. Because once once Denver gets a quarterback and they have a wide receiving group that really fits more what Sean Payton is about and is more consistent and doesn't have the drops that they do and everything, then it's 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 going to be a problem. Like it's going to be a problem for a lot of NFL teams. So I mean, the promise is there, the foundation's there for what Sean Payton's building. To where down the road, if they do it roster wise, they will they will become the next threat for the Chiefs in a very legitimate way. Now the Chiefs are at the bye week coming back atop the AFC AFC with that seven and two record, and they're at the top by themselves virtually you know alone because everybody else lost this week. I mean, except except for Pittsburgh and Cleveland, you know, amongst the, and, and Houston at the, you know, kind of bottom of the, where the AFC seating would be right now. Um, Baltimore has a loss that, you know, hey, it was to Cleveland into a close game. So I don't know if you're necessarily classified as a, as a bad loss because Cleveland's obviously a playoff team right now. 
Jacksonville gets absolutely blown out and embarrassed by the 49ers. So demerit there. I mean, Jacksonville is, is, I don't know. I can really say that they've got a marquee win. They've, they've lost some some of their biggest games. How does this AFC picture shape up to you right now, Nick? Yeah, I'll start with Jacksonville since they're the most recent. When I watch their game against the 49ers, um, when Trevor Lawrence gets sacked once or twice, like he just gets rattled and he starts making awful decisions. And the fact that Calvin Ridley has disappeared in the offense and can't really bail him out like he could the first handful of weeks, like it's it, it compounds really, really quickly because Joey Bosa and uh, 98 for the 49ers, I can't remember his name offhand, but it was number 98. They were just wrecking the backfield in that game. And Trevor just started panicking after the first or second hit. And he tossed one up like like it was a punt into triple coverage at one point. So, like, the Jaguars are slowly – the book's out on how to attack Trevor Lawrence and how to really rattle him and take him out to where Trevor Lawrence – basically, the, the equivalent I can give this to Chiefs fans is Trevor Lawrence right now is starting to turn into Derek Carr with the Raiders. So where once Derek Carr got hit once or twice, he just started tossing stuff up for free turnovers. And that's that's where Trevor Lawrence is kind of at right now if you hit him a couple times. I don't even talk about get to him on a regular basis. I'm talking just hit him a couple times. Then keep bringing pressure whether you get there or not. He just tosses it up, and like the receiving group collectively is really, really struggling to help him out. And that's what Ridley was supposed to be able to help do. And it's, it's not working in that offense for him, and that defense is starting to – that defense is really bad when it comes to misdirection and, and play action pass to where they bite on so much stuff that it worked out perfectly for the 49ers and, and their style of game and what Shanahan does to where they, you know how to attack the Jaguars. So I don't, I'll be curious to see what the Jaguars do when they play the Texans and some of the other games they have coming up because they have some tough games on their schedule to where it wouldn't surprise me if the Texans don't pass the uh, pass the Jaguars and the AFC South, but just the way the Texans are playing, the belief that they have, and for CJ Stroud to go into Cincinnati and be able to go toe to toe with Joe Burrow the way he did as a rookie, that speaks volumes about him. It's something that they can truly build off of down the road. And he never panicked in that game. They had a good game plan. They stuck with it. Singletary really shined as a running back in Houston that he, in a way, he never did up in Buffalo. So that's another you know question in terms of development for the Bills. So it and the Bengals, I'll say about them, with the Bengals from watching them, they need Jamar Chase and T. Higgins on the field together to operate this year. They don't have the run game to overcome an injury with one of those guys right now. And Joe Burrow looked healthy out there, but Orlando Brown got him moved off his spot a lot of times. And when Jamar Chase got taken away, like he wasn't, he could find some receivers, but there's a lot more that opens up when T Higgins and Chase are both out there and defenses have to respect them to where Boyd and the tight ends can, and it can help lift them up and Irwin and all those guys. But when they don't have that, when it's just, you can worry about Chase and let Burrow try to do what he can everywhere else. That's in my opinion, that's a big reason the Bengals lost is because if they don't have Chase and T. Higgins on the field together, they don't run half as smoothly or as they look. The Bengals look more like the Chiefs than offense has than you realize when both those receivers aren't out there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a team that looks like it needs to be at full strength in order to be at its best. And I'm not sure that's necessarily true about a lot of the other teams in the AFC. You know, they certainly seem to be one that needs needs all their weapons available. Entering this weekend, the flavor of the month was the with the Baltimore Ravens. They seem to be the, the the darling of everybody to be the team that was going to be challenging the Chiefs. Uh, and almost a great game. I mean, there was a battle between them and, and Cleveland. I, I have to, I guess, begrudgingly accept Cleveland as a legitimate playoff contender. There's nothing wrong with their metrics. I mean, they have haven't played the toughest schedule, but it hasn't been a bad schedule. They've got some good wins. They've played some tough games. Uh, how, do, how do you see Baltimore and Cleveland at this point? Yeah, I would say with with the Ravens portion, they they throttled back some and, in that game, and they thought I could tell they thought they had it in the bag there, so they kind of didn't really push it as aggressively as they did with Odell Beckham and with Zay Flowers. Which, by the way, anytime I watch Zay Flowers, it just makes me sad. Like Zay Flowers would have been so fun in the Chiefs' offense, just that speed, what the, what he would do with the Chiefs right now. It's just so sad to be able to. So to see him in Baltimore, like just part, I'd say this, I'm going to be mean for a second. Like part, part of his talent is really wasted in Baltimore in a way that they're just never going to be able to fully utilize that the bills or the chiefs would have, or even the Bengals for that matter. Like all those teams would really utilize him in a way to where he'd be talked about, in my opinion, as rookie of the year while in Baltimore, that's not going to happen. And then they've got the speed back Edwards. Who, those two are who they lean on for their explosive plays when Lamar isn't a part of it. But Lamar started taking some hits, and then once he took those hits, he wants to get out of the pocket quicker. So then what the Browns started doing is they do what I call a wave pass rush to where they bring the, the, they bring the first two up to go past him, to flush him up. Then they have the second wave, which is the blitzers that are right there as soon as he does. And they it, it's like a it's like a containing corral to where they have four people. And then they yeah. keep the dude, the two defensive tackles kind of right there as essentially spies to where they're not really spies, but they hold the guards and center there to where he doesn't have anywhere to go. And then once that starts happening, that's when he starts to really kind of lose it. If he can't throw it and over the middle to a tight end or, you know, it's not open. So that's kind of where defensive coordinators, I think are going to mark that down and try that. With the Browns, it all comes down to how Deshaun Watson's playing that day. And, I mean, he's – I, I he, to me, he's still – other than a couple throws, he's a broken-down quarterback just like Russell Wilson is. And he's not, he's not physically healthy right now. And he can't throw very well outside the numbers. They're either – the ball either tail – you know, the ball is too low or it's, it's just not accurate. He doesn't have that accuracy outside the numbers anymore. And that may be because of the shoulder, could be because of something else, but the Browns did a really good job play calling wise, keeping it inside the numbers for him to be effective. And they also leaned on that run game. So as long as they can do those things, they're, they're not bad. But if a team uses zone coverage and they're like, Hey, we're going to keep our zones in the numbers and we're, we're just going to do that. Like, I I think he's going to have trouble come playoff time when teams push him in that regard. Yeah, the the Browns have not thrown for more than 263 yards in a game this season. And they're able to win games and 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 put up decent yardage because they do run the ball extremely effectively. I mean, 
um, they can pile up some grounds. They're number two in the league in rushing yards, um, number one in attempts. So, you know, the 12th in average. So, you know, I mean, they're not necessarily the best team at running the football, but they are determined to run the football and they have to. I mean, I think that they pretty much have to in order to just, you know, not put the game consistently on the back of Deshaun Watson. Cause I, I, I'm with you. I'm not sure that he, he's that kind of quarterback anymore. No, he, he doesn't look to be the there's, there's two teams that one, one is in the playoff picture and one is not. And there's two teams that I grouped together because I, I think in the AFC to me, the best head coach in the AFC is Andy Reid. The two best coaches behind him. I'm going to take, you know, all, all deference to Bill Belichick, but right now, if I needed somebody to be my coach, I'm taking either Mike Tomlin or Mike Vrabel. And Mike Tomlin, once again, has the Pittsburgh Steelers in playoffs, in a playoff picture, and I have absolutely no idea how he's doing it. He's he's doing it because a great defense, it's stable, a solid run game, and just having Kenny Pickett not play outside of his capability right now. But, I mean, long-term, the Steelers need to find a better quarterback than that. Like, I mean, they if I were them, I'd be looking to draft somebody to really take back that AFC North. And if they do, one, you keep Tomlin in place, but you go get a better quarterback, draft one and develop them to be the to be the guy that I I think like you're the Steelers are the top dogs in the AFC North for a while. No matter what Cincinnati does, no matter what Cleveland does, no matter all that, the Steelers are a quarterback away from really kind of resetting themselves as a as a stable organization that consistently will make the playoffs and do everything they need to. Kenny Pickett's he's he's a quality game manager, but he's never gonna be I just don't see a guy that's gonna be the one that's really gonna lead them to routine success playoff wise. But yeah, and then like you said, Rabel, they're having to rebuild right now. But I mean, you know, they finally found Levis and if they can build around him like they'll they'll be right back in contention this time next year without much of a problem. I know. I, I look at the three and six record. And I just I look at Mike Vrabel and I'm like, I know they're they're right now they're too banged up to probably compete. But I still feel like if there's any team that's going to like sneak into the yeah. last spot in the AFC and like be eight and eight going into week seventeen for some reason, it's going to be. Mike Vrabel, because he seems to always do it. Probably not this year, but uh, that's the team that I'm I'm just always worried about because I think that they're always going to be around. That, because Mike Vrabel's a really good coach. Yes, yes, he is. What he's able to do, I mean, because right now he's basically just has smoke and mirrors. That's all he has. And he, he's never had a great elite quarterback either. No. Now, when I mean, he does find a great elite quarterback, whether that's Levis or somebody else down the road, that's when he's going to become terrifying as a coach with his physical style and defense and his physical brand of toughness and the way that they play like that. That's when things are, things are going to get real at that point. If he gets a Mahomes caliber quarterback at some point, I think maybe the last team that we haven't really touched on too much. And it's maybe it's a good segue for me because I would have taken, if I needed a quarterback this year in the draft, I would have taken Will Levis over CJ Stroud. But right now, C.J. Stroud is making me look very, very stupid because he's playing extremely well for the Texans right now. I don't, I don't think anybody outside of maybe Houston could have predicted that C.J. Stroud was going to do what he did in year one because of how they probably saw how they were going to use him, how they were going to surround him, wide receiver-wise, running back-wise, offensive scheme-wise, how they were going to mold him and develop him. So I, I wouldn't beat yourself up on that because, I mean, coming out, 
draft wise, the big talk was that he was a system quarterback and I can't remember. I think I had him number one on my rankings because I, I knew Andy Reid would be able to do a good job with him if the Chiefs were having to take a quarterback. They didn't need to. But I'm saying if they were in that position, I still like to look at that and rank the quarterbacks how I see how they could help the Chiefs. And I knew that that was kind of – he was getting knocked because he's a system quarterback and Ohio State didn't really make him do this or that, but he's doing everything he did at Ohio State and then some. Um, and then Levis – had that big arm, but I, I really liked Anthony Richardson. I I had he was kind of my second favorite personally. And then Bryce Young, he just so tiny. Like, I mean, that's the problem is like he's right there on Kyler Murray's level size-wise to where like I'm not surprised that he needed to be in a good situation. And when he went to Frank Wright, you're like, well, that's not gonna be a good situation. So hopefully. Hopefully they don't completely ruin him before, you know, before his time in the NFL is done. So, I mean, we'll see. It's young. Obviously there's not even a full year yet, but I don't know that Panther situation. That'll be interesting to watch down the road. If they uh, keep, keep that rolling for another year, or if they blow the whole thing up and let somebody else become head coach and try to try to uh, develop the uh, quarterback there. Taking a, a look around the entire AFC, so now let's bring it back home and, yeah. and talk about these Chiefs. Um, you mentioned get the talk. We got to talk to Andy Reid yesterday. Did, uh, what were your what? What kind of stood out to you? What did you hear from the from the coach uh, about reflecting upon his team and at the bye week and his thoughts? I I mean he wasn't going to give uh, he wasn't going to be able to reveal any of the secrets of what they've of what they found during some of their self scouting and, and what they looked at. And I mean, like they could do a true deep dive and didn't really have to focus on the upcoming opponent. If they didn't want to, doesn't mean that they didn't <clears throat> just means that they aren't rushed to have to dive in hardcore. They could take their time and kind of ease through the Eagles and what they're doing while also kind of looking at themselves and what they're giving away and what they need to adjust, whether it's a rotation in the wide receiver packages that maybe they run or who they're going to put at what spot at receiver and how they're going to do that or how are they going to run differently are they going to do blocking scheme differently those are all the questions that i have coming coming up here but i mean andy wasn't gonna give that away but he did acknowledge to you when you asked the question kind of yeah there's some stuff that they that they saw and that they're going to adjust and then um i just i don't know i i saw the way coach reed had it was different than a normal Monday, and it, it, he had a he had a, it, obviously he was upbeat, and um and you know and he he just had a little bit he had a little bit more intensity to him than I expected for Monday, so I I think and I wouldn't say an intensity I don't mean in a bad way I'm just saying like he had a little bit more focus on on already on the Eagles when normally it normally comes about Wednesday when he sets that tempo in a press conference, but he already had it on Monday. So that kind of tells me that this game's pretty, he understands the importance of this and he's making sure his players kind of lock back in after having the bye week and being away. So I, yeah, just the way he kind of handles himself in press conferences normally sets the tempo. What about you? And I think you're exactly right. And and one of the things that stood out to me is is just the importance of the bye week for not just the players, but the coaches too. I mean, that was a well-rested Andy Reid that we got to see because, you know, it wasn't just coming off of a game where he's, you know, flying in from a 720 kickoff somewhere and, you know, the plane lands at two o'clock. That was last week. And, you know, and we got 
you know, to piece together a little bit of insight into how Andy's bye week kind of went, because, you know, we saw the Peter King piece where he said that the Reed and Ad and Matt Nagy met for 17 minutes after the, the game in Frankfurt. And then team gets on the plane for that nine hour flight to Kansas city. He and the coaches are watching the film of the dolphins game and breaking that down. They land at KCI and they have another meeting amongst the coaching staff, you know, before anybody goes out. So, you know, that, 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 those, that those coaches didn't get home till like maybe two, three, four o'clock in the morning, a Monday morning, coming back from Frankfurt. And then they kind of start their bye week. So, you know, there was a lot of breaking down the Dolphins, but then they start breaking down the first half of the season. And that's one of the things that, you know, Andy Reid had said that the bye week does for his, at least his coaching staff, is it gives them a chance to to dive in, to look at a game, you know, in, in more detail than they would normally get to it at a slower pace, but also get to reflect on maybe what they've been missing. And that's the one thing I'm really intrigued to see what, what we do see against the Eagles is, you know, what trends start to develop that, you know, are changing from the first half of the season, because, you know, and, and he did it again this year, you know, cause I, and I, and I, I kind of let him there when I asked about Mike Frazier, because they're, they're statistical analysis guy, because he, he mentioned him last year during the bye week without being prompted to just say, Hey, one of the things we do is we have Mike Frazier who comes to us like he does every week, but in more detail about maybe trends that they're missing, you know, tells that they're missing out on, you know, maybe things that are working that they're not doing enough, maybe things that are not working that they're doing too much. You know, there's a lot of deep diving this coaching staff does. And, and, but the rest is a pretty important component. And you know, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, going up against the Eagles, you want a well-rested Andy Reid and a well-rested team and they, they should be coming off the bye. Yeah, and I mean the Eagles having the bye week too, like that it's gonna make it as evenly as a matchup as you can expect in terms of each team being rested. And Jalen Hurts desperately needed that with how hurt he was looking there with the knee brace he has on. And I don't know if that shoulder's where it's still the throwing shoulder that he had during the Super Bowl. I don't I don't remember ever hearing if he had any surgery to it or what they did to it. That never came out. And I know they're busy busy trying to get that contract done. So all that combined, I'm I'm curious to see how different Jalen Hurts looks with a week of rest and what he could potentially do. But I mean, hey, it's it's gonna be an evenly evenly uh match I'd say matchup to where both teams have, you know, neither team really has an excuse. Like, hey, they're both gonna be properly arrested, they both had a week to reset, they both had essentially two weeks to prepare for one another if they wanted to. And you and I both know that, like, the Eagles, they want this game. Like, they they lost that Super Bowl, and there's a lot of guys that want to prove that they were the better team. And so, like, you're going to hear a lot this week about the P.I. call. You're going to hear a lot about how the Eagles feel they're the better team. They're going to be on a field that's uh, better for their pass rush and all those things combined. You're going to hear all that all week, and those are all going to be themes throughout the week. And the Eagles are going to be motivated to prove that the quote-unquote Super Bowl was a fluke, even if some of those guys and coordinators are gone and have moved on. Yeah, I've I've been calling this Super Bowl 57 and a half. And, and let's face it, I mean, right now, these are the two favorites to meet again this year because they've got the two best records in their, each of their conferences. And, I mean, I, I, I think you'd have to give the edge to the Eagles about who's had the better half of the, of the first se- first portion of the season. I think they definitely have the advantage there. 
There is one Chiefs injury I did want to touch on because I thought it was important because Andy Reid, I mean, certainly was asked about it twice, but he kind of emphasized it as well. And people have been asking, you know, about Kadarius Toney and especially in the offseason when the Chiefs, you know, talked a lot about Tony maybe being their number one receiver. And we've never been able to, to see that happen. Obviously, he had the surgery that kept him out of training camp. Then he has the disastrous week one where the Chiefs, I think, admittedly will tell you and did tell you that they put him out there maybe a little bit too much too early. He saw the drops that were pretty bad, led to some turnovers, led to points. Um, but they have managed his snap counts. And, you know, and Adrian, you know, said on Monday that that was somewhat purposeful, that they want him healthy for the second half of the season. I guess we'll see if that means, you know, November or if that means more December and January that we're going to see more of Kadarius Tony. But he's not only had the knee that he had surgery on, and he has also had a sprained toe. He's also had an ankle issue that he's been dealing with. Uh, I'm still curious, Nick, about, you know, when and if we're going to see the fully unleashed Kadarius Tony. But I, it certainly seems like Andy Reid thinks we will at some point. We'll find out because, I mean, until you can stay healthy, it really doesn't matter. You know, I mean, like, yeah, that's great. You might be able to get a game or a half out of him or anything. But for him, his biggest opponent's uh, health. <laughs> like, that's that's the number one opponent for him. And, like, until he's able to win that battle, it, it really – it's not going to – it's not going to make a, a big difference for the Chiefs offense. You know, even though he's capable and has the athletic ability – I'm hoping to see him work a lot as a slot receiver or, and then be able to kind of get him on some quick hitting passes and get him into space and let him run and let him use his explosiveness. That's what I personally want to see. But I also always have the caution that I'm like, Hey, he could, he could be hurt on any play with an ankle or a foot or a toe or, or hamstring or calf or whatever. Like that's, that's just seems to be the way that his tenure has gone here in Kansas city. And then also in, in New York. So that's always I'm gonna have caution with that. I am intrigued to see what they do with Watson, what they do with Rice here going forward, what they do with McCall Hardman, and what they what they try and if they bring back Richie James. So I mean, I'm curious to see what they mix and match, and are they willing to potentially admit some things, whether it's run blocking wise or and how they're where they're positioning the receivers at to really kind of unleash who they can potentially become. Because if they do it at the right time and they hit it at the right time and and work through what they need to in the next couple of you know in the next two months basically and ramp it up to where once they hit the playoffs they're running all cylinders then like Mahomes has said multiple times they may not be stopped at that point so that's that's about doing this properly to build it at this point to where you had your trial and error for the first half of the season there's a lot more a lot more you know error than you probably wanted but now you lock in on what you're actually trying to do and what's going to work in the NFL, what's going to work against defenses and take the lessons that they had from all those opponents and really ramp it up to where they show their full potential and can have another one of those type of runs. Talking about the the Chiefs receivers, and, I, and I'm certainly intrigued to see how this happened and, and unveils itself against the Eagles, but we saw one bit of transition against Miami and that Rasheed Rice had the most snaps of any receiver. Didn't translate into a bunch of targets. He only had two targets, but then again, he also picks up a first down and gets a touchdown on those two targets. So they were productive touches. 
Um, I'm working on a piece right now that you'll be able to find at ChiefsDigest.com later today. It's going to be my five bold predictions for the second half of the Chiefs, Nick. And I'll give you a preview of one of them. And that one is that I say Rasheed Rice is going to end up with the most receiving yards by a rookie receiver under Andy Reid ever. That mark right now is 912 yards by Deshaun Jackson. And Rasheed Rice right now, already with where he is at this season, which he has, I think, 374 receiving yards, he is eighth, the eighth best rookie already. He's at 378. Um, McCole Hardman had 374 through nine, the first nine games of his rookie year, by the way. So right now, he's the kind of neck and neck where McCole was, but there's no Tyreek Hill around. There's no Sammy Watkins around. I mean, I think this has an opportunity to be the Rasheed Rice show in the second half of the season. My, my first question for you is who was two behind Deshaun numbers wise? Uh, Jeremy Macklin was two, and Tyreek Hill is three. Then where was Macklin numbers wise? Where was uh, Hill? Uh, off the top of my head, I, I, it, in the ballpark. Uh, yeah, Tyreek, I think, had 568, and yeah. Jeremy was in the 700s. I want to say like 710 ish. Okay. So, yeah, with your bold prediction, I now that I have those numbers, and that is intriguing, I'm excited to read the article on chiefstatus.com. Um, I I think he'll I think he'll at least pass Macklin. I don't think that'll be as long as there's no injury. I think he will. I think he could pass Macklin. It, the the Deshaun part I will be keeping tabs on. I will be intrigued by it. So Matt, you've 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 given me something to look forward to for the second half of the season. Yeah, on, on his current pace, yeah, he would. Be. And the other the other thing too is that he is actually ahead of pace right now. To have the most receiving touchdowns by a rookie under Andy Reid, you know uh, that record now is six. I think Deshaun Jackson had six, and maybe Nicole Hartman I think had six as a rookie as well. So a couple of players have done that. He's on pace for seven, seven and a half. So make it seven or eight, depending on how you know how you want to round the number there. Um, but the other thing that really stands out, and this tells you a lot to me about also the changing of the game. Um, but you know we viewed and everybody viewed. Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin as really strong receivers coming out in their rookie seasons. And yet, you know, Deshaun Jackson's catch rate on targets was like 51% as a rookie. I think Macklin was closer to 60. And Rasheed Rice is like 78%. I mean, that's a little bit reflective of the changing of the game. I mean, your receivers are expected to catch the ball more. I mean, I think they're better with their hands, but... Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, looking at some of the advanced metrics, Rasheed Rice is performing very, very well. I mean, outside those five drops that he's had, which were bad drops, otherwise he's been pretty impressive. He just, I think, needs more work. And there's two things I'll add to that. Who were the member who the quarterbacks were for for Deshaun and Macklin? And so, and while Rice is some guy named Mahomes, <laughs> um, so there's that part. And then the final part is. What Rice is doing, if you compare me getting to watch Quentin Johnson against the chart when the Chargers played the Lions and they're having to rely on him and some of the drops he had and how he was catching and everything, boy, Rice is already he, he's already well past him in terms of comfort level in the league right now. And I'll be curious to see the trajectory of those two guys. 
Well, there's going to be a, a lot to watch next Monday night, Chiefs and Eagles. I mean, yeah. this is this is the game of the season. I mean, this is the one that's going to get the most hype. Um, I'm kind they, of, they were they were already expecting the Bills Broncos game to be a snoozer because they were already promoting the Chiefs Eagles like in at near the end of the first quarter, and then they had it hit in the second, third, multiple times in the fourth, and then they had Mahomes on, you know, the the Manning cast to make sure that people knew that that was going to be next week and had Patrick on for almost the pretty much an entire quarter because it was 30 minutes into the game and they had him on for pretty much the entire quarter and had him predict plays and do all that stuff. So all that combined yet, yeah, like ESPN, they were wanting to remind people and I, I don't even want to see what's going to happen this weekend. Like in terms of every ESPN college football game, how much they're going to hit that Monday night on every single college football game that's on ESPN and how they're going to relentlessly hit it on SportsCenter and probably even during NBA games, you know, for this week and everything combined that, yeah, they're going to, they're going to hit that one hard because they know what they're getting ready to do numbers wise with it being on, uh, on over the air signal and also on ESPN, the numbers they could do for a Super Bowl rematch. And then the final piece of the puzzle, and I'm going to say the person's name, if there's a certain, oh, now I won't. I'll, uh, we've had fun by not doing it. If there's a certain uh, pop star that happens to show up as well, that's going to crank it to a whole nother level on Monday night. Well, ratings wise. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I don't think this game is going to need any help there. Although now you've really got me bummed out because, man, this is going to be a crowded week in, in Kansas City because, you know, Thursday, you know, and, and for those of you who don't know, I mean, the, the media workroom where we have all the press conferences and everybody, you know, comes in is a very small space. I mean, you know, my living room, I think, is bigger than the media workroom that we have. And at least in my time of covering the Chiefs, the record is 45 people that we've had in there. We might challenge that on Thursday with the number of people who are, who are going to be crammed in that room, Nick. We'll see. Where, where, what, what was that time whenever they had 45 there? That would have been 2018 during Mahomes' rookie season. And that was like near the end of the year when a lot okay. of the national media were coming in to tell the story and, you know, the MVP chase and all of that. So... And we've we've hit the 40s again since then, but 45 was the record. And I'm, I'm telling you, 45 in that room is definitely violating the, the fire code. <laughs> I never heard you say any of that. Um, <laughs> no, I, yeah, because I mean, because I'm thinking like Stram, Stram Theater. I mean, that's, you know, where people that don't know, that's kind of where we have some of the bigger press conferences when they sign somebody or, you know, trade for somebody or, the first round draft pick potentially in the past. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that has the numbers that could, that could hold, but no, I mean, that's, that's, I don't know. That's, that's going to be interesting, Matt. Cause now, now you got me thinking about that whenever I'll be out there, what that's going to, and what I know those numbers and, and will if, be like and NFL gonna films is going to be in the locker room and everything. And there's just going to be people all over the place. So you got me, got me kind of bummed out, Nick. It's going to be, I'm going to be elbowing people left and right this weekend, trying to, trying to, to get some space. I'm just thinking about that camera bay where I'm at by your by your desk back there. Oh yeah, I'm not going to be able to see like, my desk this week. We're already. I'll make sure you see your desk, Matt. You can, I always do. You have permission to put all your stuff on my desk because I won't be able to see it until you know, close to practice. I don't know. I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> like, well, I don't know. We'll we'll get through it. I just hope they have enough chairs because <laughs> I know. Oh, there will not be enough chairs. No, we'll, right. we'll, we'll, we'll be standing around in circles on the sides and everything. So all right. know well, that. 
<laughs> I wasn't thinking about that, but now I have something to look forward to on Thursday as well. You just give me all kinds of things to look forward to. I mean, oh, we've we've really fired up fight each other up, haven't we, Nick? We're just we're just two rays of sunshine. <laughs> as it should be, Matt. As it should be on 41 is the mic. That is right. Everyone, I appreciate you all listening to us once again. Uh, any parting thoughts, Nick? No, I mean, we'll we'll probably, you and I talked, we'll probably do a podcast Tuesday, the day after Monday night. We won't do it Monday night because Matt will be busy, and that'll be late, and that'll be past midnight at that point. So, I mean, we'll uh, we'll reset, regroup, and then uh, you can do a Tuesday one before Thanksgiving, and then you ramp up the whole uh, unique week of what's going to be for doing pressers during Thanksgiving and during a holiday. That's a, that's a, that's a whole nother journey. So to have it even pushed back because of Monday night football on Monday and then have the, it's going to, it's going to feel like a, like a Thursday week in some regards. It will, but you know, karma will be Nick and I coming back to you and your podcast feed after the Eagles game on Tuesday. Outstanding work, sir. Thank you. That's, that's, that's the only reference you're going to get from me. So, <laughs> We appreciate you all joining us. As always, please subscribe, like, do all those things that people encourage you to do so that others can help us find the podcast, especially if you like it. If you didn't, if you don't, tell us why. I mean, I I I will welcome all feedback on my feed. Do not, do not, you know, treat Nick poorly on Twitter because he's had enough of your crap. So <laughs> You can tell me tell me what you don't like about me, but don't tell anybody what you don't like about Nick because there's nothing that you should not like about Nick. I don't know. Somebody will find something, man. Well, <laughs> the, they can just take a flying leap. So, Well, we just lost five <laughs> listeners there. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate y'all. We hope you have as much fun listening to this. If you have half as much fun listening to this as we have doing it, then we had twice as much fun as you had listening. So. It just sounded like a sounded like a word problem in math right there. I got lost. There you go. I, if, I, I half half the time I'm just stealing stuff from Aaron Sorkin. So, <laughs> thanks everybody, and we will see you after Eagles Chiefs next week. Take care. You've been listening to Forty One Is the Mic, presented by KSHB Forty One, your home of the Chiefs and Chiefs Digest. 